This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. From PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, and Sandberg Media LLC, I'm David Dalt with Things Not Seen. Our very bodies are in motion right now. Blood is being circulated, so there is movement contained within my materiality. And if I am created in the image of God, then I bear some sort of divinity, which is in relationship with all that is in the world, with the birds who sang this morning to the mice who are running in the field. episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Sax.com. Things Not Seen is made possible in part through the generosity of our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to join them, please go to patreon.com slash notseenradio. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash notseenradio. Thank you. Welcome to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Our guest today is Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza. They're a transqueer activist, Latinx scholar, and public theologian. They're the founder of the Activist Theology Project, a collaborative project committed to the collective work of social healing. A thought leader, teacher, ethicist, and poet of moral reason, Dr. Henderson Espinoza is a visionary thinker working at the forefront of movements dismantling supremacy culture and bridging with radical difference. They live in Nashville, Tennessee. Today we're talking about their recent book, Body Becoming, A Path to Our Liberation. Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza, welcome to Things Not Seen. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. So I want to start our conversation by getting some terms in place. This is a book about bodies and embodiment, but there was a way that you phrased it at several points in the book that was just fascinating to me. And so I think this is the place I want to start for my listeners to really get a sense of what we're talking about. You talk about being a body within bodies, that there are bodies within bodies. And that's where I want to start. What does that mean to say that we are bodies within bodies? First, let me say thank you so much for the invitation to be here and to talk with you. You know, this book was created from lots of conversations that I had with my partner who is who also works at the Activist Theology Project as the curator of embodiment and somatics. Even though I'm a writer and even though I'm a professor, I'm still a student of many things. And so I learned years ago when I finished my PhD that I didn't have a relationship with my body. And so I first have to say, 
I started learning about this from my therapist in California, that we are bodies within bodies. And then when I met my partner, Aaron, we began talking about how our cells are structured to have a mind and that they themselves are a body. And so that got me really thinking about how I am a body here, but when I'm in relationship to someone else in the community, that we become bodies together. And even scripture talks about the body is dependent on other bodies. So this is a very ancient idea. This is not new, right? Every idea comes from somewhere. But I really have to credit the women in my life who helped me draw out these ideas that we are bodies within bodies. And there are consequences to that. Now, we've seen a lot of the negative consequences of our democratic body or our cultural body or our collective body over the past several years. And now we are trying to do better. And I think what is important about that, that bodies being in bodies is that it's relational and it's social, if that makes sense. It does. And just to make sure that my listeners are completely following along with what we're talking about here, there's a point in your book, Body Becoming, where you talk about a vacation and it's a vacation near a lake and you get a chance to go out on a boat and you get a chance after you've ridden this boat out to a portion of the lake, you go swimming and you say, I was a body within a body of water. Yeah. That that yeah. kind of contain but you've also mentioned the the Christian sort of notion of the body, the, the Christian language is the body of Christ, or we could talk about democracy, the body politic. And what I'm really seeing here is kind of forgive the image, but those Russian dolls where you take one one segment out and there's a smaller segment in. When I make that kind of comparison, is that too simple or am I or would you say it in a different way? Or is that really as is that really as clear as we should be thinking about it? Well, I don't think it's too simple. And I think we have made some things, a lot of things so complicated that it's out of touch for people. And so I think we can start with that kind of metaphor or analogy of the Russian dolls. Because there is a sense that we do fit together. Even those of us with whom we disagree, we are still connected. And I think we have forgotten the radical interconnectedness of all things. And that's one of the things that I'm trying to talk about here. The other thing that I want to mention in this sort of bodies within bodies within bodies is that in the Christian tradition, and that's my tradition, I'm a one-trick pony in, in many respects, There is this idea of bringing heaven to earth, finding perfection in our lifetime, which is Wesleyan notions. Then I'm not talking about perfectionism, which is a technology of supremacy culture, particularly white supremacy. I'm talking about the good, the true, the beautiful, right? This, the sort of virtuous life. There's something about when we do life together or in conjunto, when we really materialize this bodies within bodies within bodies, we are practicing something good. We are practicing something not just on a personal level, not just on an interpersonal level, but on a social level. We might be practicing another possible world. And so this bodies within bodies I think is one of the most important elements of this book because we have fragmented ourselves. We have separated ourselves. 
We have domesticated polarization in many respects. So this bodies within bodies within bodies is, I think, vital for us to move forward. Let me take just a moment and reintroduce you. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Dr. Robin Henderson Espinosa. They're a transqueer activist, Latinx scholar, and public theologian. They're the founder of the Activist Theology Project, a collaborative project committed to the collective work of social healing. Today, we're talking about their recent book, Body Becoming, A Path to Our Liberation. Well, this might be a good place to talk about the structure of your book, Body Becoming, because you start out with philosophy. You go into two philosophers that you encountered in graduate school, Deleuze and Guattari, and then you build from that into theology. And then towards the end of the book, you actually bring it into politics and say, we're actually talking about a different way to embody democracy. So I wonder if you would be willing to talk to my listeners about how you came to structure the book in this way, because I think for some of my listeners, these things would be very separate. Like politics is different from my religion, is different from any kind of philosophical reflection, but you blend them together. So talk to us about how you thought about structuring this book. Well, you know, I, I go back to the wisdom, the, per, the, the personal is political. And what I mean by that is that, and I say this a lot on Twitter, all theology is ethics Every ethical action is a political decision because every political decision shapes and organizes bodies. So when I use the term political in this book, and when I look at philosophy, theology, and politics, I'm talking about the ways in which we organize bodies, with the ways in which we organize ourselves. This is also an ancient idea. This is not new. And I think theology does this. I think philosophy does this. It organizes bodies. And so let's just return to the point of departure in many respects. Let's return to the first things. And I'm a lover of ideas. I'm a student of ideas. And the philosophy that I love and that I read are from philosophers who were active in the world, who were protesting in the 60s. We don't see that a lot these days. And the theology that I like is a theology for the least of these. We see a lot of white Christian nationalism. We see a lot of white Christofascism. But we don't see and hear a lot of the kind of theology which has a preferential option for the least of these. And so I'm trying to forward these notions and say, all theology is ethics. Everything we believe has an ethical action. And, and I write in my first book, Activist Theology, I don't care what you believe. I care how you act. And I still agree with that, that it's how we treat each other. It's how we act in the world, which will tell me what you believe. And so I'm really just trying to tell the story of doing right practice in the world through these ancient ideas that have shaped philosophy, theology, and our political institutions for centuries. I really appreciate that answer, and that, that draws me to something that you say towards the end of your book, Body Becoming. 
Because you just said doing a theology for the least of these, but you also talk about democracy for the least of these. And you said something that literally stopped me in my tracks as I was reading, because you say right now our democracy is not a democracy that works for the, for the least of these. And I guess that I had this kind of romantic idea of what democracy was, and you really unpacked that for me. And I'd love it if you would take a moment and, and kind of unpack that insight for our listeners here. Sure. Well, so let me just say I'm born of a Mexican woman, not of this country. And I've always been concerned with those people who look different racially, culturally, ethnically, because I've been treated differently when I've been with my mother. And so I've just had an attunement to the least of these. And obviously, I've been heavily influenced by Black thought, Black feminist thought, Black liberation theology, womanist thought. And so, you know, I'm reading the works of minoritized bodies, and, and I then I see the consequences of our institutions that privilege certain bodies. And I see the disparity and, and it makes me think, oh, this shit is not working for most of us. It's working for some of us, but not for most of us. And most of us are the least of these. And so it, it, it comes from a deep concern for our world. And it comes from a deep concern of do we have the imagination to actually enact a democracy that privileges community? I am after the logic of liberation. That's what I'm after. I, I'm not just here for sort of rights and freedoms of some, right? It's we are all bound up together. And if this democracy is not working for one of us, then it's not working for all of us. And so this really gets us back as we're moving towards our first break. This gets us back to that whole notion of bodies within bodies. And if I can use that Christian language again, Paul talked about this. Like if one member of the body is ailing, the entire body is ailing. I mean, I'm hearing that connection in what you're saying right. as well. Exactly. Exactly. And we know Paul is complicated, right? But we are all complex beings. Well, and so when we say that kind of thing, I think that some people are going to say and they're going to go, ah, oh, come on. Nobody's perfect. We're all fallen beings and everybody's working from their own self-interest. Democracy's never going to going to be all that, but it's the best that we can do. But what I'm hearing you saying is no we can make it better. Am I hearing that clearly? Yeah, it is true. We're all I I I wouldn't say that we're all fallen beings because I I think that's a particular theology that is feels complicated and gets weaponized against people. I would say we are each born into a broken system or a broken world or a faulted world. And as a result of that, our actions are shaped by that reality. And so we can do better, but we can only do better together, which is why it's relationships all the way down for me. People ask me all the time, why do you continue to work with white people as a Latinx? And I think I'm a mixed race Latinx. I have white ancestors. I'm trying to do good ancestor work. I'm trying to steward hospitality to difference. And so I'm trying to bridge with the center of my own difference. And I continue to go back to my white siblings in an attempt for to offer an invitation into relationship, into right relationship. Because I think that we, when we practice right relationship, then we can be and do better. 
If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza. They're a transqueer activist, Latinx scholar, and public theologian. They're the founder of the Activist Theology Project, a collaborative project committed to the collective work of social healing. Today, we're talking about their recent book, Body Becoming, A Path to Our Liberation. We'll be back in a moment. Things Not Seen is brought to you in part by Liturgical Press. Liturgical Press is a trusted publisher of resources on liturgy, scripture, theology, and spirituality. They've evolved to serve the changing needs of the Christian church, and they produce resources for pastoral leaders, teachers, engaged learners, and all leaders looking for quality books on faith and culture. Lit Press books are available at your favorite book retailer and online at litpress.org. That's litpress.org. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome back to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. If you're enjoying this conversation, please go to our website, thingsnotseenradio.com. There you'll find close to 10 years of these sorts of interviews and conversations, all available for free for your listening pleasure. We're speaking today with Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza. They are a transqueer activist, Latinx scholar, and public theologian. They are the founder of the Activist Theology Project, a collaborative project committed to the collective work of social healing. They are a thought leader, teacher, ethicist, and poet of moral reason. Today we're talking about their recent book, Body Becoming, A Path to Our Liberation. In the previous segment, you made a statement. You said all theology is ethics and every political decision shapes and organizes bodies. And one of the things that I thought about when you said that was your reflection in Body Becoming that bodies are always in motion. And in fact, you connect this to a quotation from the African-American writer Octavia Butler. And the conclusion of that statement from Butler is, God is change. And so this thought of movement, of becoming, of changing, that's central to what you're doing in the book. But I wonder if you could maybe talk to my listeners a little bit about the centrality of movement, particularly when we're thinking about something like God or theology, because we sing these hymns, the Alpha, the Omega, unending, and again, always is tied to that, the pronoun he. But I'm wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about the centrality and the importance of change and motion and becoming. Well, in in the field of theology, there is lots of debate on whether God is mutable or immutable. Does God change or does God not change? And I don't want to go down that route because I'm not talking about the metaphysical elements of God if God is contained by metaphysics. So the immutability question is, I think, a metaphysical one. I'm not talking about that. What I am talking about is if God is in all things, which was popularized by Jürgen Moltmann, panentheism, if God is in all things and if we, you know, we age, so we are changing, 
our very bodies are in motion right now. Blood is being circulated. So there is movement contained within my materiality. And if I am created in the image of God, then I bear some sort of divinity, which is in relationship with all that is in the world, with the birds who sang this morning to the mice who are running in the field. And if we are all changing, if we're all on this sort of evolutionary biological shifts, then we too are in some level of motion and God is tied up in that in some way. And change is a very slow process. Change happens over time. Becoming happens over time. But these are all in relationship to something. Maybe for children, the change is tied up into the relationship with their parents. Maybe for a business person, the change is tied up not only with their family, but also the occupation, right? The, these things are social. They're, we're tethered to something, right? Being anchored in something. And these things are in a process together, motion and change and becoming. It's almost like a ball of yarn. You pull on one thread that's connected somewhere else. So I am advocating in this book the radical interconnectedness of all things. It is almost like spinning a spider web. It's all connected. And it's all in motion with, with itself. Well, as you're talking about this interconnectedness and we're talking about motion and becoming and bodies in motion, I want to tie this back to something you were saying earlier about minoritized bodies, because oftentimes, particularly in white colonial history, the movement of bodies has not been coupled with agency. In other words, a minoritized body, a black body, a brown body hasn't had control over where it moves, but it has been moved as an object rather than as a subject. So help me understand and help my listeners understand uh, not just motion, but agency. How do those two things fit together? Yeah, I talk about in the book, the global history of the movement of bodies has existed for a long time. Some of those bodies were moved without consent. In fact, enslaved, extracted labor, and exploited. And some bodies move freely. And those bodies tend to be the global majority bodies, bodies with a passport, bodies who don't require assistance. And yet then there are other bodies who are forced to move across borders, maybe fleeing war from Latin America or in the Middle East. So we've got a real issue around agency and it's an ethical dilemma, right? It's a moral challenge. How do we steward the movement of bodies in a way that allows people to have agency? And so I talk about how it's really bodies that create borders. It's not some decision maker that says we're going to draw a border here. It's actually bodies that do that. And, and bodies cause the, the earth to have woundings when it's moved or maybe forced to move, right? So for, for me, this is all wrapped up in us being connected to a planetary cycle. You know, borders are also shifting, 
uh, because the earth is shifting. And so I try to talk about movement on many levels, right? The planet is moving. I mean, we are literally rotating, right? And we might feel like we're sitting still, but no, we are moving. And I think we forget about that. We forget that motion is really one of the first philosophical thoughts going back to atomic theory, which is a really a, a question about matter. So motion and matter have existed for a long time, but we've stabilized these things and it shows up in our political thought, right? I mean, our immigration policies, if, if you read it philosophically, you, you can read into a, a kind of stasis or homogeneity when really motion breeds heterogeneity and heterogeneity or difference or multiplicity is really what will save us, not sameness, not stasis, which is the next book that I'm working on. <laughs> well, I want to stick with this for just a moment because you, you used a phrase just a moment ago, bodies create borders. And I think sometimes about how the language here of we are part of a larger body can get weaponized. I think about when there's whiteness culture that get, gets connected to nationalist culture that gets connected to purity culture, then brown and black and other minoritized bodies within that body politic are sometimes seen as pollutants or some kind of, of infection. And then there's language about eliminating that for the sake of purity. And so help my listeners understand how what you're talking about when you're talking about this kind of bodies nested within bodies, how does your line of thought avoid that kind of pollutant language and those kind of more totalitarian or maybe even Nazi kind of moments that we can see evidence of in other moments when these this kind of language has been used? Well, I, I mean, I think about uh, white on white violence, which we're seeing right now with Russia and Ukraine. There's a reason why Putin is calling Zelensky, the Ukrainian president, a Nazi. He's weaponizing. I mean, he, Putin apparently had some sort of come to Jesus moment. I don't know who the evangelist was, but he had some come to Jesus moment. And he is weaponizing anti-Semitism and his colonial evangelical theology against Zelensky and the Ukrainian people by calling Zelensky a Nazi. And I mentioned that because it's live and we can pay attention to the evolution of it. But if we don't pay attention to the, the kind of horizontal violence that is done, we end up with an ideology that calls brown people, queer people, trans people, pollutants in a society. So what I am trying to do is advocate for radical difference or cosmopolitanism or the multiplicity of difference. And, and when I say difference, and I write about this in the book, I don't mean oppositional politics. I don't mean this is different than that. That's actually not difference. Th th those are just opposites. And difference is not opposites. Difference is philosophically is that thing without a norm. And what we're seeing Putin doing is normalizing this white on white violence through anti-Semitism. And what I want to advocate for is in our relationships, horizontal or not, that we privilege difference or the radical multiplicity of difference as a technology for change instead of a technology for stabilizing relationships or pacifying relationships. 
And so when I'm thinking about this, I, I think a lot about the work that I do with cisgender white men. You know, people say, why is so much of your following bros? And I'm like, because I'm willing to sit down and have a beer with them and talk with them. Now, that's not to say a lot of other people have sat down with cis white bros and it, it, it doesn't work out. And I get that. And there are a lot of people who are frustrated with white folks. And I get that. And I'm still willing to be in it. And do I get frustrated? Sure. But I am after a more perfect union. I'm after another possible world. And I think that only happens in relationship. And so I try to visualize and I try to steward the radical multiplicity of difference in relationship instead of just assuming, oh, this is a white guy. It's not going to go well. Like there's, I just believe in being hospitable to difference. You, you and I are very different. We don't really know each other, but there's a generosity here on both sides if we're going to practice relationship. And I think that could get us somewhere. Let me take a moment and reintroduce you. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza. They are a transqueer activist, Latinx scholar, and public theologian. They are the founder of the Activist Theology Project, a collaborative project committed to the collective work of social healing. Today, we're talking about their recent book, Body Becoming, A Path to Our Liberation. Well, so far, we've been talking about body politics, and we've been talking about the movement of bodies. But one of the things that also comes up again and again in your book, Body Becoming, is your own relationship to your own embodiment. And there are several points where you use the phrase that you are still learning how to be in your body. And I'm paraphrasing that, but you say it in a few different ways. And I, I want to make sure that my listeners understand what you are meaning by that. So if you could give us some of the shape of how you are learning to be in your own body. Yeah, sure. When I finished my PhD, I realized that I was living life from the shoulders up. And I thought there's certainly there's a different way to be than just a moving head through, throughout the world. And I walked into my therapist's office in California and, and said, I don't want to know anything about you. I just want to have a relationship with my body. And I had been on a journey with my body. I, I had felt as though I was neither female nor male and felt non-binary before there was even the language of non-binary. And I used to write, you know, if you had to write your gender, I would write F-E slash M-A-L-E. And I, and I would say I live in that slash space, but I didn't know how to embody the slash or the hyphen, even though I embody the hyphen racially every day. But even there, I wake up in a body that I don't recognize. And so through a lot of work in therapy and a lot of work with embodiment coaches and starting to move, and I'm not an athlete, so when I say move, very slow functional movement, like learning to pick up a ball, really basic things to feel my body. I mean, the other thing is I live life on the autism spectrum, so I actually can't feel my body unless someone is touching me. And so I had to learn how to feel, really. and how to, what does it mean to get in my body? You know, I, I would hear that from people all the time and I'm like, I don't know what that means. And so with a lot of help, it takes a village. I am learning how to feel and learning how to get into my body. And I am still very much in process. 
And so you've just given us a lot of pieces that we could bring into the conversation. So you mentioned that you are neurodivergent, you're on the autism spectrum, but you also use this phrase that you're embodying the slash, embodying the hyphen. I just want to say that's one of the things that I appreciated so much about your book, Body Becoming, is that even though you were using philosophical language, even though you were talking about things that some would take into an abstract direction, you were always anchoring it in stories and in very concrete aspects of bodies and your body and relating it to how I think about my body. And so I found this to be a very approachable book, despite the fact that you are really in a gray space here. You're in a space where the language doesn't exist in some ways. And I really appreciate that about what you're doing. And so as you're learning this new language, and this may seem a strange question, you mentioned neurodivergence. Did you find that to be an asset as you're trying to find new language here because you are looking at relationships, you're looking at your own embodiment differently than maybe other people are socialized to or normed to? Yeah, the autism diagnosis actually answered a lot of questions for me and my partner and and helped us navigate, you know, just our life. And yeah, it feels a little bit like, you know, when you pour champagne and you get the, those bubbles and they disappear. It is almost like that, a, a sense of effervescence. That's where we are right now or where I am in my thinking, right? It's almost there, but it's not there. And we don't quite have the language to describe it, but it's a little bit like effervescence, a little bit like the bubbles that disappear. And we've lived a long time needing certainty and needing binaries. And I think what I am trying to do in my work, both in my public scholarship and when I spend time with people is move us in into the in-between, that place of Nepantla, the, the place of the both and, so that we can maybe experience a little bit of that effervescence together. And maybe that will inspire us for another possible world. And so as you're doing this in-betweenness, you talk about the fact that you have, and, and you use a couple of different phrases for this, when we talk about passing for white or passing for male or passing for female, there's a lot of agency involved in your own embodiment right now, that you have moments where you can lean into a certain type of binary or lean away from it. And I wonder what it feels like as you're growing into that sort of agency. Well, you know, I think marginalized people have done this for a long time, which is called code switching, right? And so I, I remember when I left Texas, I suppressed my accent so that I wouldn't be considered stupid or dumb. And as soon as I got that PhD, I, I was like, okay, the accent is coming back out. No more talking like a white person. So yeah, it's learning how to be wise as a serpent in, in many respects. And there are, here's what's interesting. I, I have these three little letters behind my name that gets me into doors and into meetings. And, and then you have to figure out how to navigate that space. And so it's a constant code switch. It's a constant navigating the in-between, but that space gives me life in many respects. And it's a place of becoming. And I hope that more of us can move into that space because I do think it's rich with possibility. As you say, you say that it's giving you life. Can you concretize that for me and my listeners? What is that life like? Well, I, when I say that it gives me life, it, there's a place of creativity. It's something my literary agent, who is an amazing person, Kathleen Falsani, 
she she sent me a piece of artwork. It's a picture of Laguna Beach taken from her lanai. And it says, everything you do is art. And so it feels a little bit like that. It feels a little bit like, oh, th- this is art and art will save us. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and we're speaking today with Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza. They're a transqueer activist, Latinx scholar, and public theologian. They're the founder of the Activist Theology Project, a collaborative project committed to the collective work of social healing. Today, we're talking about their recent book, Body Becoming, A Path to Our Liberation. We'll be back in a moment. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Each week on our program, we bring you a rich conversation about culture and faith. If you're enjoying these conversations, please go to our website, thingsnotseenradio.com. There you'll find close to 10 years of these sorts of interviews and conversations, all available for free for your listening pleasure. We're speaking today with Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza. They're a transqueer activist, Latinx scholar, and public theologian. They're the founder of the Activist Theology Project, a collaborative project committed to the collective work of social healing. They're a thought leader, teacher, ethicist, and poet of moral reason. Today, we're talking about their recent book, Body Becoming, A Path to Our Liberation. We've been talking about embodiment and the movement of bodies and the growth of bodies. One of the things that comes up as a term towards the end of your book, Body Becoming, is somatics. And I wonder if you could talk to my listeners a little bit about what somatics are or what somatics is. I'm not even sure of the right verb tense here and how that has worked itself into the shaping of your thinking. Yeah. So this was a new term for me back after I finished my PhD. And so I'm also new to it in many respects, even though I've been scratching the surface for a while. So we'll be in this together. But somatics basically is a term that is a larger umbrella around embodiment. So there is somatic therapy, there's somatic psychology. And basically what this means is uh, getting to the felt sense of the body through psychology or through small functional movement, which is what I did here in Nashville. I would go to my partner's class and I would be in a class full of 70 and 80 year olds and we will be learning to get off the ground and how to fall without hurting yourself and the small functional moment, which which was really good for me because I was taught growing up, my Mexican mother was like, don't get dirty, don't sit on the ground. And so I actually, I have a lot of anxiety about sitting on the ground because I was socialized not to because the myth was Mexicans are dirty. And so my mom didn't want me to get dirty. And so somatics has really revolutionized my thinking in lots of ways because Now I will sit on the ground and I will feel the earth and I will be in relationship with the thing that is holding me up. I'm in relationship with the ground and we don't think about gravity very much. We just know that gravity is a bitch. And so I hear I'm getting in touch with gravity and like being in relationship, which is part of the whole process, right? It's getting a relationship with your body, getting the relationship with your surroundings. So somatics is 
a field of study that privileges embodiment that works toward the felt sense of the body. What strikes me about what you're saying is that at the same time that you are learning this new way of being in your body, that is coupled with an unlearning. And when I say that, does that sound right or would you say it in a different way? It's, it's like an unbecoming becoming. Could you say more about that? This is the motion piece. This is motion, change, and becoming all wrapped up together. When I talk about an unbecoming becoming, I'm talking about I am literally undoing myself so that I can become, so that I can change. And we're all doing that, right? Many of us are doing that around racism, white supremacy. Many of us are doing that around the exploitation of capital and labor, you know, and capitalism. So we're all really doing that work. But are we doing it in a way where we can feel ourselves so that we can have room for empathy for the other? Because I think that is that is why we should get into our bodies so that we can feel the pain, right? Compassion, the, the Latin root for compassion is to suffer with. When we don't suffer with one another, we can't create the kind of change we want to see in the world. And if we want another possible world, which I borrow from the Zapatistas in Mexico, who opted out of a lot, who opted out of global capitalism from the north, we need to learn to suffer with, right? I, I need to learn to suffer with my black and brown and white siblings. But we've all been cut off from my ancestry. For some, it was not chosen. For others, it was a choice. But when we learn to suffer with, I think we can have a better relationship with embodiment, a better relationship with ourselves and each other. A moment ago, you mentioned capitalism and global capitalism, and that's something that you state very plainly in your book, Body Becoming, that the kind of embodiment that we're talking about, the kind of philosophy that we're talking about, the kind of theology that we're talking about is a, a an embodiment, a philosophy, a theology, which is designed towards the end or is growing towards the end of a different way of organizing ourselves politically and economically than capitalism has offered us. Yeah. And, and I want to hear more about that. How, what, I know that we're not quite sure what that's going to look like, but help my listeners to understand how do we begin to move out from the embodiment of capitalism? Well, I think we can first start to just start at what is the relationality that is present for capitalism, and it's a relationality of transactions. So if, if we want to pivot from, to start from relationality and imagine a different kind of economic system, could we begin to rethink relationality? If, if we don't want transactions, then what is it? I mean, Someone asked me the other day, so you never go through the self-checkout line? And I'm like, no, I, when I'm at the grocery store, I go to a person so I can talk with them because it's about relationships for me. And, and if this is their job and they have to be there, I want to say hello to them. Those are my little ways that I'm trying to pivot, you know? This is an example. Well, as I hear that, I think about what you've been saying about your own relationship to your own body. And so often the narratives that capitalism gives us is our bodies are here to be productive and, and that we don't deserve to be here unless we're working and providing for ourselves. What I'm hearing you saying, and please correct me if I've heard this wrong or if you want to say it in a different way, 
is that we could organize our bodies and even our relationship to our bodies around different goals, relationship or pleasure or the simple act of sitting in a sunbeam. Like these can be reasons to exist that have nothing to do with productivity and capitalism. Now, Absolutely. Again, when, when I say it that way, am I getting too simple again or am I grounding something that we could then build on? I think you're anchoring it in, in a way. I mean, just look at how many of us don't know how to embrace pleasure. And not just sexual pleasure, pleasure of any sort. We won't take a vacation because we need to just work. We just need to work, grind it out. We won't go to a restaurant to have good food because we don't know how to have a relationship with pleasure. And I write about this in the book. And I I think pleasure is one of those things that could help us imagine another possible world. How do we pivot out of the bullshit of capitalism and lean into pleasure. So many of us are living paycheck to paycheck. And so when we get money, it's already spent. And so how do we actually imagine another possible world? Pleasure might be one of the principles we want to deploy. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and we're speaking today with Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza. They're a transqueer activist, Latinx scholar, and public theologian. They're the founder of the Activist Theology Project, a collaborative project committed to the collective work of social healing. Today, we're talking about their recent book, Body Becoming, A Path to Our Liberation. As I've been introducing and reintroducing you throughout this conversation, I've been mentioning the Activist Theology Project, and I wonder if you'd tell my listeners a little bit about that, and particularly in light of these larger questions that we've been talking about with regard to somatics and embodiment. Yeah, sure. Be happy to. So the Activist Theology Project is my brainchild. When I left my faculty post in Berkeley, California, and and moved home to the South, I decided to launch my academic scholarship as a collaborative project, meaning I wanted to work with people to do scholarship and activism. And what we do together, we do storytelling events, storytelling workshops. We have classes. Right now we're running a class called Unraveling Your Whiteness, and it takes kind of the principles of white supremacy and and helps people somatically unhinge or unwind from the ways that they've been socialized, white people in particular. So we create courses, we create content. We just launched our app to build community, which you can find us at atporch.com. That's atactivisttheologyporch.com. And what I was really interested in doing is doing theology outside the institution, doing theology in the world in a politicized manner. And there's a reason why I don't go on the job market. I just, I want to be with people, I want to build relationships. And I've left the church. I keep leaving the church. I I keep, I keep being invited to preach. And that's always very weird for me, but I just want to be with people. And I want to be a teacher in the public square. I don't want to be privatized by an institution. And so that's really what we're doing is we're doing theology in the world. Well, and a moment ago, you mentioned storytelling, and you both weave your own story into your book, Body Becoming, but also towards the end of the book, and especially in the final part, the afterword of the book, you have been entrusted with other people's stories. And I wonder if you could tell my listeners a little bit about that, because the stories play a vital role in making your case in this book. Yeah, I wanted 
I love to write and I am a long form writer. So I, I like the book as, as my project. But what I'm also aware of is that there's a danger in the single story. And that if I tell my story and if I use the skills that I've learned in graduate school to, to maximize that story, I might be missing the mark. And so I reached out to folks and just asked folks, would they want to contribute a story to my book so that we flesh out embodiment in lots of different ways? Obviously, I'm after a particular kind of embodiment, but if I believe in the, the radical multiplicity of difference, then having multiple stories about embodiment should actually make the case that I'm making. So I invited folks to contribute a, a vignette to the book because I wanted, I mean, I, I just believe in composting platform culture. I just, I'm not, people get addicted to the applause all the time. And if we're really going to see social change, it's going to be because we start collaborating more. And so I wanted to model that. I did that in my first book. I wanted to do that in this book. And I just, I want us to be able to talk about our bodies in a better way. And I believe it takes a diversity of tactics. And this is not the only way. There's lots of ways to do this. And when we begin trusting one another and leaning into those multiplicity of ways, we might get somewhere together. As you've been describing this throughout our conversation and also in your book, Body Becoming, one of the things that's very clear to me is we, we talked earlier about learning coupled with unlearning, learning a kind of bravery in your own body and unlearning a kind of fear. And that's, I, I see that again in the kind of Russian doll nesting, because the, I, I think about my own ways of being in my body and the fear that I feel sometimes. But also I think about those bullies that have tried to make me feel afraid. So we, bo we both have socialized fear, but also social fear. A and I wonder for listeners that may feel a glimmer of hope in the conversation that we've had, but still feel themselves looking over their shoulder because of either that social or socialized fear, how would you begin to encourage them or bolster them to find their own bravery and unlearn their own fear? Well, we have to trust our bodies, and some of us are unable to trust our bodies, right, because of social fear and socialized fear. And so I would say to those people, find your people. Because when we are in community, we become better people, and we can get closer to embodied living when we find our people. And that's taken me a long time to find my people. And so obviously being in grad school and doing a PhD you're in a very competitive environment. And I just am super non-competitive. I could care less. I mean, I don't even watch sports, except my friend, Rachel Ford, who I love and adore. She said, sports actually help me to care about something without it mattering. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I need to care about something without it like hinging on life and death, which there's a lot of violence in sports. So I don't know if that holds up at the end of the day, but I, I get her point. Like, how do we care for people and also matter for them? Like sports aside, it, it takes a village and, you know, it takes non-competitive relating and it takes, I think it takes social courage for us to learn to, suture the wounds, the relational wounds that have so divided us.
One of the things when we hear the word radical, we oftentimes think about like rapid revolutionary change, like regime change or what have you. What I'm hearing in what you just said, but also what you say so clearly in your book, Body Becoming, and I'm thinking about this in terms of somatics, sometimes it's okay to move slow to reconnect slowly and to connect slowly. Now, when I say that back to you, am I understanding a piece of this or would you say it in a different way? No, I feel that in my body. I feel the invitation in my body when you say it that way. I'm like, oh yeah, I think he gets it. Like he read it. Oh my God, someone is getting my work. That's great. Yeah, it's radical. The Latin root for radical means being rooted. And so how do we root ourselves together? in ourselves and with one another. And, and, and if anything, that's what Activist Theology Project is trying to do, help people be rooted in their practices to be better ancestors. Oh, wow. I love that phrasing. And what I'm struck by when you use that image of the roots is when we think about a forest, the roots entwine together. And that, yes. that brings us back to this interconnectedness that you were talking about at the beginning of our conversation. Yes, absolutely. Well, as we're thinking about these intertwinings, it it seems to me that this is a very hopeful project that you are about. I know that it is clear-sighted in terms of the obstacles that are there, but it sounds like you have found some ways to ground yourself, to root yourself in hope and in rest. And I wonder if you, as we're nearing the end of our own conversation, if you could share with my listeners some of the ways that you have learned to be at home in your own body and at home in your own becoming. That's a, such a great question because my body has become home to me. And, and it was really a contested relationship previous to me walking into my therapist's office um, in 2015. I, I started taking siestas every day. And I started putting my phone down, putting it on do not disturb and really learning to have a relationship from a place of rest. And I mean, I've taken CSs for a long time, but it's now part of my spiritual practice, kind of a mini Sabbath, if you will. And so I started taking siestas. I started learning to love water and really drink water and just have water with me all the time that hydration is good for our systems, not just for the hydration, but I can feel it. I feel better. And so having a relationship with my body is also about stewardship. I'm trying to be a good steward of my body. Obviously, I hate diet culture and all the toxicity there, but learning how to shop locally for my food and try to be a good steward of my resources that way. buying locally. And I mean, I just, all of these practices that I've implemented have helped me steward a better relationship with my body. And obviously it's not without complications, but it wouldn't be life if it was simple, right? Well, Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza, I have known about your work from a distance for a long time. I was so glad to get an opportunity to read your book, Body Becoming. I learned so much from it. I know that my listeners will learn from it. I appreciate the work that you're doing. I look forward to the next book. I hope that you will come back and talk to us again because this has been such a pleasure to be with you today. Thank you for the time. Thank you so much. It's been great to be here. We've been speaking today with Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza. They're a transqueer activist, Latinx scholar, and public theologian. They're the founder of the Activist Theology Project, a collaborative project committed to the collective work of social healing. Today, we've been talking about their recent book, Body Becoming, A Path to Our Liberation. 
Things Not Seen is produced by Sandberg Media, LLC. We're distributed nationally by PRX, the public radio exchange. Today's show was recorded at the William Adams Studios in beautiful Hyde Park here on the south side of Chicago, Illinois. Our studios have a home courtesy of the Zygon Center for Religion and Science, part of the Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago. Neither Zygon nor LSTC are responsible for the content of this program. Our theme music is composed by Gene Keeja. Our show is made possible in part by the generosity of supporters on Patreon. You can find out how to help us create great programs by going to patreon.com slash notseenradio. You can follow us on Twitter at notseenradio. Visit us on Facebook and like our page to receive regular updates about the show and find out more about our guests. That's facebook.com slash thingsnotseenradio. And you can sign up for the free podcast, listen to old shows, send us an email, and find out more about our guests if you visit us on the web at thingsnotseenradio.com. I'm David Dalt, and we'll be back next week with more conversations about culture and faith. Please join us.